Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, episode 147. Today it's going to be a fun conversation with Joe and one of our best friends, Shad. And this might be a little bit different format of a podcast than we've done before. It's it's really going to be just a, a conversation between three friends talking about a race that two of us have done, Shad and I have both done, and Joe is heading off. And that race is the Bighorn 100. So Joe, when you're when you're listening to this, Joe will be just about to start, and um, he reached out to me and asked me some questions, and I thought, what better way of doing this than to grab Shad, who's done it four times, paced it, knows it great, just to get together, have this conversation. So Joe, how are you feeling a few days out when we're recording this from the Bighorn 100? Wow. I think um, I feel really very fortunate to be able to get some data here from guys who've been out there. You know, the the hundred mile distance, I, I know, Don, you made me laugh last week when you said I'm unorthodox in my training, but I'm also somewhat unorthodox in my approach, which is I don't give it a lot of thought because, well, look, I'm not going to win. So my strategy is get to the finish line and figure it out. And so I'm usually just in that category. Well, this time it'll be a little different. I actually have a crew coming out. I have three pacers who are going to take me along, and then I'm going to have the beta from guys who have done this. So I think for all of you listening, this is the way you're supposed to do it, which is get better plan, have people (laughs) support you, and think about what you're setting out to do. So there you have it. So this is pretty cool, and I'm excited uh, beyond what you could imagine. Uh, Just for the background, uh, Bighorn is in Wyoming, um, this is the 30th year of the running. It's 100 miles. It's, I think, a little over 20,000 feet of elevation gain. Uh, and that means elevation loss because this is a straight up out and back. And uh, you almost end up in Montana um, at one point because it's pretty close to the Montana border, as I understand. And it's pretty rugged. Um, like getting to the aid stations, from what we've read, is a bit of a challenge because of the roads and so on. So it's a true, like we would put this in the true mountain category. I, just for others, you know, benefit here, you know, we, I'm talking to two guys who are, you know, mega ultra runners. But Shad here, like who's done his share of hundreds, is going to be doing hard rock again for a second time coming up in a month. So we'll get him back to talk about what it was like to do hard rock, which takes what my mountain race to like another level. So uh, so I like Shed's perspective because he knows what, when you say a mountain race versus just a hundred mile race, there's a big difference in those two, at least as I think about it. So anyway, that's the background. Um, What I would love to, you know, dive into guys is a little bit of, you know, like how to think about sort of the first half of the race, getting to the turnaround, you know, what do I have to plan for it looks like it goes uphill more in the front end and a little more downhill on the back end but how do i make sure i get to the finish line before the cutoff of 35 hours well that's a that's a good question <laughs> there's a lot involved in that question joe <laughs> i mean exactly. you kind of left the uh i don't even know where to start so you call it a true mountain run and it is a true mountain run i actually my nickname for the big horn 100 is mini hard rock because it, it really is rugged like hard rock it doesn't have the big huge passes and the big huge mountains but you still get that elevation and that trail and 
you get the mud, you get the water, you get dry conditions, just depends on what the weather throws at you. Um, yeah, I don't even know where to begin with that question. Well, let's start with with race morning. So for a mountain race, the race starts at 9 a.m., which is later than like yeah. a Leadville or uh, a Hard Rock even. So yep. there's already, you're, you're dealing with a, a slightly different start time than most mountain hunters, um, which for, for Bighorn can be really tough depending on the weather. Um, that canyon that you start in can be really, really, really hot. So you're already having to plan a little bit, maybe more for your morning than you would for a 4 a.m. start where, you know, it's the sun's not coming up and you're, you're, it's going to be cool. But 9 a.m. in the Bighorn Mountains is, it could already be 80 degrees and sunny. So that would be my, my first recommendation is, is don't overlook the start time and the, the irregularity of the 9 a.m. mountain start time. Okay. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's great to go out, be able to get up and go. So back in the, the first time I ran Bighorn in 2008, it used to be at 11 a.m. start. Time. Yeah, that's what it was when I did it too. It was, was at 11? Yeah, it was then? I so couldn't remember miserable. when they made the change. It went 11, 10, now it's 9. They keep moving it up earlier and earlier. Uh, you know, with like 11, 10 a.m., you know, you could actually have time to go out for breakfast and then show up at the start yeah. line. It was super weird. I liked it and I didn't. It's just kind of perspective. It was the 11 a.m. start for me was actually kind of nice because you could have a normal breakfast and then pick up from there with your pre-race pooling. The 9 a.m. start to me is it's in between breakfast and lunch and it has this like weird, like what the hell do I do? It's not a normal time that I would ever start a run from home. Um, either I get up super early or I'm lazy and I run in the afternoon. So it's it's just a weird start time regardless of, of the heat or the race. So, so Shed, on this, like, so the first, what's also different is they allow pacers at mile 30. Correct. All the way to the end. So I'm going to pick up a pacer at mile 30. So I have that first 30 miles myself, um, a lot of elevation gain. How does this first part play out in your mind versus the big climb that goes from 30 to 48? So that first climb from the start to basically dry fork. Yep. Um, I think dry forks like mile 13. Yeah. 13 and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, you're basically gaining with the rollers like 4,000 feet. Yeah. So in those first 13 miles, a lot. And most of that is in the first eight miles of that. Okay. So basically it's a hike from the start. Yep. Okay. You basically have an eight mile hike for, so just plan on hiking for three hours, two to three hours, Okay. Uh, depending on your pace and you know, what kind of conga line you're in. Because it, right. it it does quickly turn into single track, okay. And some of and some of the single track will actually disappear, and you'll just start going straight uphill next to a fence line, mm -hmm. and then it'll dump you back onto single track again. It's kind of a weird course in that way, but it's very well marked. You will never have to worry about getting lost. The out and back nature of it. There's really hardly any trails that come off of it at all. So it's mm -hmm. basically straight out and straight back, especially after mile 30. There's nowhere else to go. So <laughs> you're not going to get lost. Uh, the, the only way where you really got to watch course markings is on a couple of the dirt roads that you're on to make sure that you make the turns yep. that need to be done on dirt roads. But once you're on single track, you never have to worry about it. I don't recall ever seeing. Yeah, I, I don't think 
the only time I ever got worried about missing a turn was at mile like 90 or something when my mostly I was just tired and yeah. like, oh my gosh. The one thing that I would say, it, it might not be a hot year, so who knows, but I saw a couple of rattlesnakes out when I ran it the year that, that I did, uh, mm-hmm. mostly in the canyon. So around the start and around the finish, um, definitely be aware if you're running by yourself well, yeah. you have a pace or two, but if you're if you're not in a group, just be aware of what you're coming up on. Um, it's my least favorite game in all of trail running is is it a stick or is it a snake? Um, because you like especially you just never know if you're moving and you're like, oh my gosh, it's a snake, and you're like, oh nope, I just jumped like an idiot because it's a it's a stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so just be prepared to play that game. Um, but yeah, I remember that that uphill, even in the lead pack, and I was I was running in the lead pack for the first most half of that race, and it was a walk jog for the front of the pack up that first big line. Yeah. Um, to not to totally jump ahead, but think about as you go up that climb that you're gonna have to be coming back down it. Mm. Um, I remember when I did it, my quads were pretty shot at that point. Um, so just kind of I. In an out and back course, it's one of the things that I always tell my athletes or anybody that's talking to is it's a unique opportunity that if you're thinking about, hey, I have to come back this way, just be cognizant. You'll have all that course recon. Um, the only course, the only part of the course you don't get to see is the what, the last four miles when you run into town because you you don't you don't start you start at you know, right mile whatever. Um, so so just be cognizant of that hill because it's it is a bit much coming in because it's like almost that last 18 miles can be downhill um and you could really cruise if you have the ability but if you've blown your quads in the rest of the race it's a typical mountain race just be cognizant but it is a downhill finish so just be cognizant of that so then you go from mile 30 to 48 which is that up all the way up to like eight thousand feet or something like that Another big hike, really, at the end of the day, that part? So that section is actually more runnable than the graph shows it. So the steepest part is actually the beginning. And and then coming back when you leave Footbridge and go up the wall. Those are the two parts where you really be hiking. Now, going from Footbridge to the turnaround from 30 to 48, you can jog most of that. Even oh. though you're going uphill, it's very mild uphill. Hmm. It's not, I mean, you're basically going from, uh, I'm trying to remember what footbridge, footbridge is at like 4,500 and you're basically going up to 8,000, but that's over 18 miles. Right. And there's not a lot of rollers or it's just basically just a nice gradual uphill the whole way. Mm-hmm. So I, I ran, actually ran more of that than you think you you can't. And on that, is it um, a combination of the, like whatever road, dirt road and uh, single track, or is it? It's almost all single track until you get close to Jaws. Okay. When you get about three, I want to say it's about three miles out from Jaws, you'll, you'll start crossing some roads and then you'll actually jump onto a single track next to a road. Some people actually get on the road. Um, and you go into Jaws that way, and you actually come into Jaws on a dirt road. Okay. The last miles all on a dirt road. One one thing I would say in that section to be cognizant of, just because you are getting up a little higher, and it will be getting into that late afternoon time frame, mm-hmm. is just be cognizant of of 
storms. Um, that's that's the area of the course that I would say, you know, from and it might be a little earlier, it might be mile 30 or something like that, but you probably will catch an afternoon storm based on our recent weather patterns. So yeah. just be, be, be prepared with the jacket, yeah. um, be prepared to be safe, especially as you get higher. Mm. Um, I know I, I caught some storms the year I did it and was glad I had a, my Houdini jacket stuffed in my pack. So, yeah. um, and I know you get cold Joe. So, uh, <laughs> just, just be aware that, that, that section after the first, even, 20 miles, you might be catching an afternoon shower. Okay. Yeah. And do not leave footbridge heading to Jaws without a light. Mm, right. Yep. Do not have warm clothes. Just be ready for the night when you leave footbridge, even yeah. though it'll be, you know, mid afternoon or so, or maybe late afternoon. Just be prepared for the night. Yeah. Because you won't see your crew again until the turnaround. Right. There's and no then, other place in there. I mean, there's A stations, but there's no crew stops. Right. Yeah. So no, that, that, that's good. Good advice. Always. Um, do you, uh, how did you feel about, I know it's not just this past year, but how do you feel about their aid stations and their setups and what they've had when you remember their shed good aid stations? I think the only race I've ever done that has better aid stations than Bighorn is hard rock. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was in Hard Rock will make you food on demand. You can walk in and say, I want a burger with this, 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 and they'll make it. I want a breakfast burrito with this, this, this. Yeah. Now, Bighorn's not quite up to that level, but they're they're not far behind. Yeah. <laughs> um, the A stations, even the ones that are remote, like Cow Camp, Bear Camp, or L Camp, are actually pretty well stocked, hmm. considering that they have to take those in on horses. That's how they get those A stations in. They take it, the cowboys that own the land, take those A stations in on horses, especially cow camp. Mm. That's run by the people that own that property that they graze their cattle on. Oh, wow. So, cool. um, yeah, I, I, Bighorn was my second hundred after Leadville. And I remember <laughs> thinking like, wow, this is so much more of an aid station than Leadville. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely more remote and it's, it's sparse as like there's no spectators and stuff at these aid stations like Leadville might be, but they do a great job of taking care of the athletes. It's a, it's an authentic like mountain, but we got you buy mm. into it. It's old school. Yeah. I consider it old school. I mean, yeah. it doesn't have the big hoop, you know, the big hoop stuff, you know, people cheering and all that. It's just old school. It's just dudes out in the woods running a hundred miles through the mountain. Yeah. They're there to support you. Um, one thing that just popped in my brain while we were talking about going up to Jaws was I would strongly consider for you to put a drop bag at Footbridge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is the hardest aid station for a crew to get to. They can get there, but it's also a place where I've missed my crew. Mm -hmm. And I got, I had to sit there for an hour and a half because I had no jacket. I had no light. All my stuff was in my crew vehicle. Um, so, and that happened in 2016. And when I ran it in 2018, I had a bag there just for that reason. Just in case. Yeah. I actually, I wasted an hour and a half to two hours sitting at the aid station. I finally left the, I got tired of waiting and I finally left the aid station with a garbage bag as a jacket Oh. and, and somebody's pin light. And I, <laughs> I made it about a quarter mile outside of the aid station and my crew showed up. And they actually ran down the trail, got me, and I came back and got my gear and then oh, went wow. out. So I lost like two hours there. 
So just okay. in case, yep. um, because in order for them to get to that aid station, they actually have to drive into Montana, go down, go across, and then come back through an Indian reservation to get to Footbridge. Yeah. Okay. So it's a good three, eight, two to three hour drive for them. Yeah. So just be prepared in case they get stuck in traffic because it's kind of a hard road to get in and out of as well. So they could be stuck, you know, with other runners crews as well. So mm -hmm. just be prepared for that. And this is silly, but do you remember any cell phone coverage at all on this course? I don't remember because I didn't carry my phone with me. Yeah, yeah. same. Probably. Um, yeah. It's limited service uh, if you even get any. So that's why with the crew thing, to your point, if you don't know where they are, you don't want to sit around waiting, never knowing when they're going to get there. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I would be surprised if there was a lot of cell phone coverage because, I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. The only places around are Dayton with the start line, which yeah. is a super yeah. small town. Um, you're literally on the Montana-Wyoming border the whole time, and there's just not a lot out there. It is. Remote. But <laughs> if it is clear skies, as you're coming back from Jaws, make sure you take 10 seconds and look up at the stars. Yep. There's I'm also no light pollution as well. <laughs> mm. Probably one of the best nighttime stars I've ever seen. So, so you, you get up to the uh, turnaround. You've really gone a lot of climbing in this thing. Mm -hmm. How does it play out as you start to go, you know, back towards the finish line? So I would say it's it's worth mentioning that even before you get to the turnaround and then immediately after, you're going to be dealing with a lot of mud. Oh, right, right. Like yes. a lot of mud this year. Even on the really, really hot year that I did it, there was probably a solid mile of mud at Spring Marsh. Um, like... It's just so bad. Um, so I, whatever you need for foot care at Jaws, I would like take your socks off, change your socks, wash your feet, um, and then like do do the same again as you get to the to the next aid station with your crew. Um, there is one. Is it Footbridge that they actually have like a foot wash station that the volunteers will wash your feet? Uh, it's at Jaws, they'll do that, and I believe at Footbridge. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's okay. the only time I've ever had a stranger wash my feet, but um, <laughs> it was glorious. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. Um, but just prepare for, for mud, uh, whatever that looks like for you. Um, this with how much moisture we've gotten this year, I would just expect. A, a slog of at least a mile or two of just mm -hmm. you know ankle deep mud so um something to be prepared for the last thing you want to do is not expect it and then mentally you have to go through these like 30 minute miles of mud and if you're anything like me that's a quick way of getting in a bad headspace um so wanted to at least call that out to, yeah, like, yeah that's a good reminder I, at some point either saw a video or read about that so it's good to remember and have extra foot care extra shoes all that kind of yep. stuff okay. mm -hmm. and then the other part as far as going along the mud topic is if there's any kind of weather you know if you have any rain at all when you mm -hmm. leave footbridge coming back and you got to go up the wall the wall will be muddy Oof. if it rains at all yep. I, i've lost a shoe in the mud there let's put it that yep. way i actually went like almost knee deep and lost a shoe 
Wow. And I actually had to get down on my hands and knees and dig the shoe out of the mud and put my shoe back on. Wow. So just be careful going through there. It's, and if it's dry, you're going to have a lot of ankle turners in there. Um, yeah, because the cattle yeah. use it to go yeah. up and down and they rip the heck out of that trail. So if it's really dry, there's going to be a lot of like holes all over the trail and it's easy to roll your ankle. So just take your time going down it. That's what I remember. The year that I did it, it was, it was so dry hot and dry and it was just craters. And, and I mean, it was impossible because it's probably, a, you know, 200 herd of cattle or horses have gone up and down it. So every single spot has a either a high point or a divot. And it's just there's, there's just nowhere to step. So. Um, I don't know if you're planning on bringing foals, but yes, that that's a spot I would strongly suggest if it's dry having poles. And if it's not, you're not going to fall on your butt and slip down the hill. Uh, yep. So it's, okay. it's a good course to, to have poles either way. Yeah. It, I think this is one of those courses that will, you're, you're going to get a little bit of everything, Yep. which it's good and bad, depending yeah. on your perspective, right? It's the most beautiful course I've ever done. Most it's beautiful hundred mile course I've ever yep. done. So mm -hmm. um, and I only say that because I haven't raced hard lot rock like Shad. Um, it's it's not the most beautiful race I've ever paced because I've paced hard rock, but mm. have, having completed it, it is it is so beautiful, especially when the water's running and you're running or along the river or creek or whatever it is. It's it's just I mean, you truly feel like you're in the absolute middle of nowhere doing something truly special. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think for you, Joe, it's, you're going to be moving at the appreciation pace. I'll call it. Um, you'll, you'll be able to appreciate the, the scenery and yep. everything around you and uh, you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. And I've seen some pictures because of the record snowfall they've had up there this year. I saw some pictures a few days ago on their Facebook page. The wildflowers are oh, yeah. some of the best they've ever had. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my favorites. I mean, there's one section. I want to say it's after Dry Fork and before Footbridge. I want to say it's before Cow Camp, actually, between Dry Fork and Cow Camp. Um, I can't recall right off the top of my head. Well, you're going to be running through a single track, and you're going to have wildflowers coming up to just below your waist. Wow. Right? And, and they're going to be hitting you as you're running through them. And it's yeah. just fabulous course in that aspect. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. something to kind of appreciate. Yeah. I, guess. I like that. That's pretty cool to know and think about, look forward to, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing I really liked about this course. They had a lot of wildflowers. And as Don knows, I like my wildflowers. Shad. <laughs> so you'll never be able to run with Shad in the summer without him. Be like, hold on, hold on. Gotta take a picture. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> yeah, worse, right? I like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. But you appreciate it. Uh yeah, and then I guess it gets pretty cold up at the top at uh Jaws in the turnaround because we're up high and it's nighttime. Yeah, that's why I say don't leave footbridge without a jacket of some no. sort. Because it will as soon as that sun goes down, it gets really cold. If there's even a slight breeze you'll get really cold, really, really fast. Okay. Um, it's very, I would, it's, do you know when you do lead though and you're coming back at night and you're going around the lake, how cold it gets yep. around the lake at Leadville? It's colder than that. Oh, okay. So yeah. Prepare for that. Yeah. It can be really cold up there. Uh, even though it's only, you know, 
between 80 around 8500 feet less than 9000 feet it gets super cold up there yeah at night so just be i mean it's not like puffy weather jacket but it's pretty close it's a, it's an i would say for you the r1 and a shell like a like a wind shell would be pretty solid um i would i would maybe even have a, a pants to pull on uh, and keep your legs warm yep and because you know it's Mid-layer. it's not worth getting cold yeah it's really not <laughs> as you know it's so hard to come back from that amen even uh when we were at Cocodona there and that one night it started to uh yeah listen it wasn't even that cold but you know when you're not moving fast enough no, I had a puffy on the, the the last night. I had my puffy on and my Speedland windshell on, and I was still barely putting keeping it together. So I, it's mm-hmm. once you get cold on an ultra, it is, it is so hard to come back from that. So don't do it. <laughs> and then uh, right, so down, yeah. coming back down Jaws that eighteen mile. That's you guys probably were running i would imagine or at nighttime i guess i don't know if that's really ran most of it yeah ran mm-hmm. most of it yeah and then once you hit the road like you can cruise it's like four miles on a smooth gravel road once you get to, into the finish um like the, the finish like if if you still have light i said this earlier in, in this yeah but if you still have legs left you're going to be very happy with yourself so <laughs> speaking of that last road to the finish, this reminded me something when Don brought that up. Um, it can get really hot on that dirt road to the finish as well. Mm. And the last two times I've run this race, my pacer carried an extra bottle for me. And the whole point of that bottle was to dump over my head and keep me cool. Yeah. Oh, I wow. didn't drink from it at all. And there's a river running the whole right next yep. to that whole road. So as they're dumping the bottle, my patient would go over, fill the bottle back up out of the cold mountain water river and wow. dump it back on me again to keep keep me cool for that last four to five miles down that yep. road. Yep. So and that's that, a great strategy to bring up to your pacer for that section. And you cross the river at that last aid station too. So if you're feeling warm already, yep. um, you can always take a dunk or, or put your hat in or something like that. So mm-hmm. um, you know, be, be cognizant of that. And then, yeah, just... I, I feel like every every year I see pictures. There's there's always a little unofficial aid station at the road that gives out popsicles and beer. Um, so be prepared to grab yourself a popsicle at least. Uh, but the popsicles are actually with those uh, girls that on the bikes. They go up and down on that road. Okay, they hand out popsicles That's to what the runners is. going down the road. So yeah, it's like a house, a farmhouse on that road. Their their kids and them they ride their bikes up and down the road and hand out popsicles. So take advantage of that; they're really good. (laughs) You guys know I like popsicles during a race. So I remember correctly, someone was screaming for popsicles recently. (laughs) I love I love a popsicle when I'm hot. Oh man, I put down I put down four popsicles at Sedona. Did you? Yeah, I I had (laughs) like three lime popsicles and a like a grape popsicle and it was um and then of course it finishes and there's that river right there so you can just jump right in yeah if you're hot so are there a lot of stream crossings i know you said you get your feet wet in the muddy stuff are there a lot of other stream crossings too no not official stream crossings i would guess with the wet weather you're probably going to have like runoff crossings here and there um just to be prepared for i'm guessing most of which you can navigate appropriately to get around or get over you know probably just some marshy areas 
yep. the actual stream slash river crossings that you have actually have bridges. Yeah, you'll have a bridge over every mm -hmm. real crossing. You know, like Sally's footbridge, right? Yeah, there's actually a bridge over it. Uh, there's also one at the beginning of the canyon as well. As you know, Don was saying, there's the streams right there. So, so you're gonna get your there. feet muddy going up, and then you get your feet muddy going back because you're going yep. back through that thing again. Whatever you walk through once, you're gonna walk through Correct. again. And it, it, as long as it's not raining, you won't get your feet muddy until about mile thirty-five. Right. Okay. It's just the last. It'll be the last hour or two before you get to the turnaround. That yeah, as long as it doesn't rain. If it rains, your feet are going to get dry from dry fork on. Okay. Or oh, wet, I mean. Sorry. Um, uh, but that first climb up and the climb down. No, it'll be bone you, dry. It's always dry. Yeah. Okay. And so it's close to the, what we would call the longest day of the year from the sun up and down point of view. Do you remember it being like the night is short because of that? Did it feel that way to you guys at all? The nights always feel long for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always chasing that sunrise. So I know, uh, I know. It's, yeah. it's, I don't, I don't remember it feeling any different than any, any other. Better. Yeah, me yeah. You're just so hyper-focused on it's dark right. and you just run until the sun comes up. Yeah. Five o'clock <laughs> never comes soon enough. I'll still never forget in the, Tahoe 200, I think it was night two, was my horrible night. And I was just dreaming and praying that I would make it to the morning. And for everything I did to try and stay awake, there is nothing literally like what the feels like when the sun comes up. If we talk about biology, oh my mm -hmm. God, when the sun comes up after you've been out in a nighttime doing a run, it's literally like someone just injected, you know, totally. drugs into you. Yeah, it's a new life. Right? It's amazing how our systems respond. Uh, yeah, no, that's good. This is amazing. What, um, any other last advice? Uh, I mean, the cutoff is 35 hours. So I feel after doing uh, my Cruel favorite Jewel. race of all time. Um, <laughs> yeah, Cruel Jewel. Uh -huh. uh, I feel like this is, you know, what, 10, 13,000 feet of climbing less and about 10 miles shorter. So, and it's all, Cruel Jewel, even the downhills were miserable to run on because it's you so like that, yeah. that round river rock. Whereas this race, the, the downhills are pretty dang runnable. Mm. Um, like even like the uphills are, they're, it's a lot of vert, but it's all like constant steady vert instead of that really, really steep stuff at, at Cruel Jewel. So I, I remember really enjoying Bighorn just because it felt, runnable like it feel like it didn't feel that much different than leadville even though it has a bunch more climbing but it just didn't feel that much different so i i think you know i think i think you'll be you'll be fine at that cutoff um just keep moving right that's the the best advice for any ultra is just keep moving some of those aid stations i remember at bighorn they have the fire cranking the big yep. old fire don't pin, get sucked in by the campfire and and the chairs are just so inviting and i yeah I, all I wanted to do was lay down and take a nap. Yeah, especially at Elk Camp. Elk Camp always has a bonfire. Is, yeah, yeah. And that's that's the first big aid station you'll see after the turnaround coming back from Jaws. Yeah. And it's, it's cold out. You know, it's the middle of the night. It has this big bonfire going. You'll see all the runners, like, huddled around it. I mean, yeah. you'll just see people trashed that went out too fast. And yeah. just don't get sucked into those. 
No. So it's really easy to get sucked into those. Minimize aid station time. Yeah, always. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The last one's okay. So this is probably one of the best, you know, preps I've ever been able to do. So I. <laughs> the... Well, we'll have to we'll have to talk again after this experience. You have pacers, you have crew, you have beta on the race. Like, how is it going to be different than what you're normally show mm -hmm. up with the required gear and that's about it and <laughs> figure out a way to get through it. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how you like this style of racing. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll report back next week. Um, Shed, by the way, how's your training going for hard rock? How are you feeling? It's going well. Um, I have moved up into a cabin up here in Fairplay about 20 minutes from Don. I have no electricity, no running water, and an outhouse to use for a bathroom. Yeah, he's, so he's I'm like Rocky-style training. I'm more all Rocky-style in Russia. You know, I did it last year, but I only did it for about three weeks last year. This year, I'm doing it for six weeks. I've been up here since June 1st. Yeah, and I, I plan on basically staying up here through Hard Rock. I mean, I, I go home once a week for one day. So I go home mm -hmm. for 24 hours once a week. Wow. Just mostly for work stuff and do chores around the house so the yard doesn't get too out of control. But outside of that, I'm up here just putting in the time. And for those that aren't familiar with why that is so important for this specific race is hard rock is, well, it's hard, but it, it peaks out over 14,000 feet. You're, you're over 10,000 feet for the majority of the race is up and down and up and down high in the mountains. So um, Shad has come up and he's staying at 10,000 feet now to get acclimatized to higher elevation. Even though he lives at 6,000 feet, those extra 4,000 feet can make the difference of, of him being competitive like he wants to. So um, mm. it's, it's, it's such a special race, but it is so hard because the climate is so tough and the, and the altitude is so tough at, at Hard Rock. Yeah, I and think he's just... over 12,000 feet 13 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other thing is that you know that, but you need significant time for the body to acclimate. Like so, six yeah. weeks is a, that your body will have adapted, and so then that well, you'll be as best as you can as a result of that. That's cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's it's one of those races that I'm willing to go all in on. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I do other races, and I don't go all in like I do with Hard Rock. So, I, and I don't know why that is. It just it is what it is, I guess. It's just the way my it's the way my my brain works. So beautiful. That's a race. We love it. Well, we'll talk to you and Don after. Thanks, guys, for helping out. Uh, start Friday morning, 9 a.m. and uh, and here we go. We're ready to rock. Awesome. Well, best of luck to you, Joe. We'll be tracking you, and can't wait to see you on the other side of another hundred mile race. Good luck, Joe. Thanks.